It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are great hours coming your way. Admiral James Chavitas, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, will uh, be joining us at the bottom of the hour. We'll be Marty McCarry. We're going to make heads or tails of what's happening with masks, the vaccine, and why I believe the President of the United States is the greatest example of an anti-vaxxer in the history of man. The guy wears two masks, never takes it off, even though he's been vaccinated, and all alone, making announcements, making speeches, walking in graveyards, never takes the mask off. Why would anyone who's a little bit hesitant about getting a vaccine want to live that life? Nobody. When is he going to realize people are watching and seeing? They're not just listening, whatever they can make out of it, what you're saying behind your two masks. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that if you are outside and not close to people, you still need to wear a mask? You know, this is a question that we're looking at. We have this complex message that we still have hotspots in this country, and we will be looking at the outdoor uh, masking question. What? You, could, you should not be wearing a mask outdoors. Masking under fire. Now experts saying, well, we've been saying all along, masking everywhere, all the time, any place, even after vaccination, is crushing trust and creating hypochondriacs. Why should Americans even get a vaccine if their lives won't change? That story and all things pandemic-related coming your way. Number two. Say, I can't help but think what would happen if we had social workers present. I remember fights in, in even high school where a kid brought a pen knife or something to school and teachers were able to defuse that and they didn't have guns. Shoot the gun in the air as a warning. There's something wrong with this. Sorry, police officers listening right now. Policing in America under fire. We review the latest flashpoints, reform pushes, and push back on this president's belief that America is a racist society. Number one. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half, in half by the end of this decade. You know, these steps will set America on a path of net zero emissions economy by no later than 2050. That's Joe Biden's inspiring words. Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda is doing anything but as his tax plan, new family plan, D.C. state push, and now sacrifice at the altar of green energy has our enemies laughing and many clear-thinking Americans steaming, like me. I 2022 cannot come here fast enough. So let's get started. Uh, I got the admiral a little while. I'll handle uh, foreign policy with him. But when you comes to the Joe Biden agenda, it gets more radical by the day. And if he's not doing it directly, he's supporting what's happening in Congress, mostly at the House level. And in the Senate, they want to create such a backlog and so much pressure that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema or anybody else, uh, whether it's August King, say, OK, we get, have to get rid of the filibuster, the one you begged us not to get rid of two years ago, four years ago, because the Senate was firmly in in Mitch McConnell's hands, now you're saying, people are saying, it is racist. It's a joke. So what's happening at the border is being ignored. That is a crisis. What they're doing with the Biden agenda is creating a crisis. Next week, they're going to roll out a family plan that's going to roll out. It's going to cost $1.4, excuse me, $1.5 trillion. Now, that's different than the $2.2 trillion that they want to do in infrastructure and different from the $1.9 trillion that they already passed. 
Where are we getting this money from? Well, we're going to tax you and tax everybody. We're going to get the tax rate, corporate tax rate. You're It's going to go up from 21 to 28, which Joe Manchin's not going to go for. But how about this? Capital gains tax from 28, 23 rather, to 43.4. That plummeted the market hundreds of points immediately. 321 points. That's a genius because it leaked to Bloomberg. He wanted it to leak to Bloomberg ahead of time so everyone's not shocked next week. So you now, if you're in New York and you're an investor, you probably are going to be spending 62% of your entire income on taxes. On taxes. Then you got the climate change, which is going to get rid of the meat industry, the oil and gas industry, even quicker than we were told. It is going to be devastating. I don't know how we're paying for this and how we're going to convert this, but guess who? During the two-day climate summit, guess who's not pledging anything, to do anything? China, India, and Russia. So we've got to cut 90% of red meat out of diet within 10 years. That's four pounds a year. Switch to an electric car, approximately $50,000. Install new electric heat pumps into every home, which means if you like your gas stove, you can forget about it. Even though natural gas burns cleanly, we don't seem to care about that. Here's a little from Joe Biden. Cut one. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half, in half by the end of this decade. That's where we're headed as a nation. And that's what we can do if we take action to build an economy that's not only more prosperous, but healthier, fairer, and cleaner for the entire planet. You know, these steps will set America on a path of net zero emissions economy by no later than 2050. Okay, great. Uh, Biden's goal will require the electric grid hours to be totally rebuilt within 10 years. That'll be cheap. According to the Natural Resource Defense Council, the U.S. will also have to double its share of carbon-free power to 80 percent. It's at 40 percent right now, half of which is now provided by nuclear, which they don't like, to have any hope of achieving. So all coal plants will have to be shut down. Natural gas plants will be phased to, into obsolescence. Wind and solar will have to increase six to sevenfold. The Obama Clean Power Plan, which the Supreme Court blocked in 2016, looks modest by comparison. It sought to reduce CO2 emissions by 32%. So if you like your stove gas, you cannot keep your stove gas. Farmers will have to adopt a, quote, climate-smart agricultural and forestry, I guess, way of doing things. Here's what Larry Kudlow said. I think he he put this great because yesterday was Earth Day. Cut for it. Today was a terrible Earth Day. The stock market sold off 400 points. The second reason is Joe Biden was out there with his Earth Day solutions, mm-hmm. which is to tax every single thing that possibly moves. Yeah. So he will destroy a perfectly good economy left to him by one Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So it's a bad Earth Day. That's all I'm saying. And you should be saying that. So let's talk about something else. And this is D.C. as a state. D.C. should not be a state. The Constitution says it should not be a state. George Washington, Benjamin Franklin said it shouldn't be a state. James Madison wanted to make sure it wasn't a state. It's supposed to be neutral ground. It just so happens it's inhabited by Democrats, where it is, even though it's a 50-50 area, D.C., it is mostly everybody is Democrat there. So that's the only reason we want to make D.C. a state. They're not concerned. Don't let anyone kid you about the fact that maybe they're not getting proper representation. Fold back into in Maryland if you want. You cannot get two more senators and a congressperson there. 
That is not going to work. What I was stunned at, and I shouldn't be stunned at, is that making D.C. a state and pushing back against it, you're not talking about a constitutional argument. You know what you're talking about? Racism. Racism. Because they say that they see race in everything. It is official. I see race. They see race in absolutely everything. So listen to what they said uh, yesterday when they voted on it, and it got passed on a pure party line. Uh, did this D.C. becoming a state, which, by the way, uh, I think is totally out of control and it will not pass the constitutional test. And they can't I don't believe do it without making an amendment to the Constitution. But they're going to pressure Joe Manchin to make it 50 50. So the vice president cuts it in. So here is uh, here is a new member of the squad. I believe the first male member, Congressman Mondaire Jones. He's on the House floor. And when the Republicans say we're totally against this, this is what this clown says. Cut one. Cut ten. I have had enough of my colleagues' racist insinuations that somehow the people of Washington, D.C. are incapable or even unworthy of our democracy. One of my House Republican colleagues said that D.C. shouldn't be a state because the district doesn't have a landfill. (laughs) My goodness, with all the racist trash my colleagues have brought to this debate, I can see why they're worried about having a place to put it. Not racist. It's a Democratic area which you want to make a state to get two more senators to have a permanent majority and further socialize the country. And where he comes off putting race into everything, it just diminishes it all. Uh, and 216 said yes. 208 said no. The Senate will not get a single Republican vote. And I hope some clear thinking Democrats will realize the Constitution means something. When we come back, the challenges we are getting and the, the brushback pitch we got from Russia— The danger we have in the Iranian negotiations in Vienna of just giving up everything, including the sanctions on that terror state, in order to get back in a deal America hated, including Ben Cardin and Chuck Schumer. They did not vote for it. We might be stuck with it again. And then Dr. Marty McCauley on whether you should be wearing masks, let alone kids wearing masks, and the meltdown that we witnessed in Virginia that we could all relate to. Man, do I have a lot to go over. So glad you're here. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Three, two, one, zero. Mission and liftoff. Scott Speed, one Endeavor, alpha. and Crew 2. Copy, one alpha. Vehicle stitching downrange. And there you go. Uh, the SpaceX launch was successful with uh, American astronauts on it. How much money we're saving by not having to pay Russia to bring us to space ever since President Obama shelved the space shuttle program. Joining us now, Admiral James Chavides, 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. His book is doing great still, 2034, a novel of the next world war. Uh, Admiral, welcome back. What do you think about the launch today? What's significant to you about that? Well, I wish you could see the smile on my face, Brian. It, it is such a nice moment. And I'll give you a, a very particular reason why. Um, I got to know the Russian head of NASA. He's a guy named uh, Dmitry Rogozin. I got to know him very, very well. And you'll recall when we started applying sanctions uh, appropriately to Russia some years ago, um, Dmitry Rogozin tweeted, well, I guess America will have to get to the space station on a trampoline. And he showed a picture of a I trampoline. Yeah. And Elon Musk, when he launched uh, the first of these SpaceXs with an astronaut on it, he said, the trampoline works just fine. Nice. And that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Is that, okay, uh, we are not going to bend a knee to Russia on these kind of issues. And we will find a great American innovator who can make things happen. And that guy happens to be named Elon Musk. Great credit to him. But really to the whole team, NASA, everybody else, um, I, I just felt so much pride today. And I'm sure you did as well. Oh, absolutely. I just love the space program. I'm so thrilled we got a chopper, uh, what seems to be a drone, a drone yeah. chopper on Mars. I mean, this is Mars. amazing what's going on. And hopefully... They, I mean, I was did his whole space special, so I had a chance to see their goals. And they want they want people to live on Mars, but to be self sustaining, not depending on Earth. And they believe the private sector can do it. And that's a combined effort, by the way. It's not Elon Musk writing a check; he's being yes. supported. It's so it's a it's a chance for the country and private and the private sector to be happy, right? Absolutely right. And you know, there's a geopolitical flip side to this, by the way, um, which is. Russia and China are drawing closer and closer together in space. And that ought to concern us. About three weeks ago, they announced plans to uh, create a manned lunar uh, permanent station, uh, if in effect a laboratory on the moon kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and they are, they are very actively, frankly, going to militarize space, and space is already quite militarized, but even more so. So we've got to be watching that flank, if you will. All the more reason that the private-public cooperation, you talk about harnessing capitalism to uh, national efforts like, like space and like our capabilities to face Russia and China, I think are going to matter a great deal. So a couple of things I want to get to rapidly if I could. Uh, it looks like General Frank McKenzie, the commander of the U.S. Central Command, said yesterday he's looking for other bases to be able to do some airstrikes should they need it in Afghanistan to try to deal with the Uzbeks, Tazaka, Tajikistan, uh, Turkmenistan, uh, that will allow for the basing of U.S. forces. I'm not sure the Russians are going to be amenable to that, and they do have a say. And the primary drones used in Afghanistan, the AQ-1, MQ-1 Predator, and MQ-9 Reapers, can reach the country from bases of U.S. allies. This was an unnecessary expense, 
and and deal cutting. We could stay there with two thousand troops, I know. Admiral. And now look what we're doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, as we've talked about, uh, had I been making the decision, or more realistically, advising President Biden, I would have said twenty five hundred troops. I mean, we can do that. Uh, forever. And, you know, we have 35,000 troops in North Korea. We have 50,000 troops in Europe. I think Lindsey Graham got it about right. This is a very small insurance policy, and it's going to make it harder to do all that kind of deal cutting around the world. Uh, Thank God we have nuclear aircraft carriers who are seven acres of freedom on the high seas that can help contribute as well. Next, I would love to talk about what you think the reason is the Russians backed off with their 150,000 troop buildup on the uh, Ukrainian border. I think Putin recognized that um, he, at the end of the day, he doesn't want to actually invade Ukraine and own uh, another problem in that part of the world. So uh, he made his point, uh, is another way to put this, um, he showed that he has that capability. He was playing very much to a uh, hometown audience, if you will. He's got the Navalny problem. He's trying to boost his popularity at home. Um, so he kind of made his point. Doesn't mean we should let down our guard. Could it happen at some point? Yeah, it could. But good news for the international system that he took a step back. True, false. Uh, the Ukrainians getting closer to uh, NATO, the NATO nations, and moving in, and that's part of it. True. That is absolutely true. Next, uh, Afghanistan. We know about uh, what's going on in Afghanistan. I was shocked to see they're already making gains, already making plans as if the Taliban is taking over. The The attorney general, the secretary of state came out and said the Taliban does not want to be alienated from the rest of the world. They want to be able to get aid. So therefore, they're not going to rule as as hard as they did last time. I cannot believe we're giving in as if the Taliban has already taken back the country. And are we going to stand aside when they do, if they do? Yeah, as I always say, Brian, uh, I hope the Taliban will do a better job, but hope is not a strategy. And I would not bet on that in the least. Um, So I'm not sure what the Secretary of State is thinking is going to happen here, because every indication I get is that the Taliban will want the jihadist uh, regime. The only question is, are they going to let the uh, al-Qaeda back? Um, And that's going to require, and that's what General McKinsey was talking about. If we see indications of that, we're going to have to go back in there. You know, see paragraph one, why did we pull out 2,500 troops? So uh, lastly, China has committed nothing uh, to in the new summit, to do absolutely nothing. Uh, they swamped the declines of other nations uh, by building more coal and fire plants, and they admitted to it, too. The CO2 emissions increased by more between 2015 and 2018 than all of the United Kingdom's total emissions in 2018. And the trend's continuing. I'm looking at the graph right now. Uh, China came, but they didn't do anything. What are they really thinking? They are uh, going to seek to uh, kind of undermine the effort and then come back into it at some point. What they really don't want is the U.S. to appear to be the leader of the band here. And uh, therefore, they're not going to be particularly helpful until they can put themselves in the driver's seat. And that's going to be, in my view, a long time coming because there's a rising middle class in China that wants the kind of benefits that societies offer. And frankly, there's no easy way to get there without some level of carbon emissions. And I kind of like our middle class, too. And I would like to see them stay there. (laughs) 
Uh, thanks so much. Exactly. Go pick up the Admiral's book, 2034, a novel of the next world war. There's a reason why it's a bestseller. It is great. Admiral, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Have a great weekend. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you think that if you are outside and not close to people, you still need to wear a mask? You know, this is a question that we're looking at. One of the things I think that's really important to understand is while there's wonderful news and we're getting more and more people vaccinated every single day, we still had 57,000 cases of COVID yesterday. We still had 733 deaths. And so while we are really trying to scale up vaccination, we have this complex message that we still have hotspots in this country and we will be looking at the outdoor uh, masking question. What is taking them so long to look at the outdoor masking question? It affects every single American, every one. And they can use data from other countries and come up with something. But I'm not the doctor. Dr. Marty McCarry is. He's a Fox News contributor, surgeon and professor of health policy at the St. John, uh, Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Dr. McCarry, welcome back. Would you answer that question because the CDC director won't? Yeah, so, Brian, the data is pretty clear. It's less than 0.1 percent, point. of all transmission occurs outdoors. And now that three out of four people in America are immune from vaccinated or natural immunity, the risk is basically negligible. So it's pretty clear. Look, every time we have an obvious answer and a clear-cut public policy, we hear from the CDC, oh, we're going to go back to the library and do some research and look this up. And they put something out, you know, three months late. They've done that with masks, with schools, with everything. And it's, it's just getting old. It's getting old and it's getting political because I have this from two weeks ago. The same Dr. Rochelle Walensky, same head of the CDC, when asked about fully vaccinated people. Listen. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. She has been asked to walk that back. Why? (laughs) And that's why we get these generic vanilla answers on the Today Show. Because they don't want to lead. They They are subjected to political whims. Do we have a state of emergency right now with COVID-19? It's young people getting it. Okay, let's look at San Francisco. 31 people in San Francisco three days ago. It was 23 people two days ago had covid in, a, in, in the entire city of San Francisco, most asymptomatic. Is that a state of emergency? Just, just to give you a sense as to where we are nationally, Brian, right now, we have fewer cases, fewer deaths, and a comparable case fatality rate right now with COVID as we did during the most mild flu season of the last eight years. And by the way, then we had 447,000 cases in one day. Uh, during that week 10 of that mild flu season. Now we're at 57,000, she says. Uh, Look, if you get your vaccine or you're immune, rip off your mask, live your life, respect businesses that may want you to wear it indoors for a little bit longer. But we've got to give people something to look forward to or else we're just going to feed vaccine hesitancy. All right, so I want you to hear this mom. Her name is Courtney Ann Taylor. She's from Virginia, and she's in front of the Gwinnett County Board of Education And she has a little kid, five and six years old. Listen to this. Cut 31. 
This is not March 2020 anymore. We have three vaccines. Every adult in the state of Georgia that wants that vaccine is eligible to get it right now. And every one of us knows that young children are not affected by this virus. What have we done with that blessing? We've shoved it to the side and we've said, we don't care. You're still going to wear a mask on your face every day, five and six-year-olds. You still can't play together on the playground like normal children, seven and eight-year-olds. It's time. Take these masks off of my child. We chose you to make decisions that would be in our children's best interest and forcing five, six, seven, eight, and nine-year-old little children to cover their noses and their mouths where they breathe for seven hours a day, every day for the last nine months for a virus that you know doesn't affect them. That is not in their best interest. And this has to stop. And that was my bet. It's Georgia, not Virginia. Usually everything's in Virginia these days. Do you understand her emotion and is she right? Gosh, that's hard to watch, isn't it, Brian? Yep. I mean, it's just heart-wrenching, and, and she's right. I mean, what are we doing? At, at a certain point, you know, um, are we going to not leave our homes because one in 50,000 kids can develop bacterial meningitis? 400,000 kids die of malaria overseas. Is no one going to travel? I mean, it's, you know, it's the, the fear has gone so far. And if you saw that recent poll that showed that um, something like 40% of of Democrats think that the risk of hospitalization is over 40%. The risk misperception is so out of whack right now. We're not saying there's no infection in society, but relative to other infections, relative to a mild flu season, we're actually doing better right now. And, and it's just heart-wrenching to think what we're putting people through. Absolutely. And by the way, the New York Times, I'm listening, you know, Allison was um, our esteemed producer I was listening to Morning Joe. They are saying why we I'm vaccinated, why am I wearing a mask? We saw the New Republic, a left-wing magazine, say the same thing. Same thing with The Atlantic, who tends to lean left. And then the New York Times, anything but right, says there are a few, if any, documented cases of brief outdoor interactions leading to COVID transmission. If you're passing other people on a sidewalk or sitting near them on a bench, the exposure of XL particles appear to be too small to lead to an infection. Basically what you're saying, but Dr. McCarr, you've always been reasonable. They have not. And now we have a situation where people who are voting for the other guy are getting fed up. And it's not just impatience. It's a lack of facts. So what are we supposed to do? All our listeners, most of my listeners feel the same way. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're starting to see these politicians holding on to these draconian restrictions really start to fold. I don't know if you saw, but there was strong guidance in uh, of experts to tell the Michigan governor that you got to go back to restrictions. And she actually refused. Is, is it because she's a genius with COVID? I think she's looking at Gavin Newsom and other elected officials that are in deep trouble. Some say that this is going to determine a major flip in the next midterm elections and presidential I don't know. I don't do politics. That's your area. But there's broad bipartisan consensus right now in the United States around things. Let's talk about them. Let's take the masks off outdoors. No one in the United States should be wearing a mask outdoors, vaccinated or unvaccinated. Okay. 81% of seniors are immunized. About half of those that are not now have natural immunity. So we're over 90% of vulnerable people protected. It's a different virus now. It's in young folks where the case fatality rates lower. It's not the same as last year. And let, let's get some consensus around that because I think the American people, it doesn't matter your political party, are really fed up. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of spread. The medical establishment has lost credibility with folks from this, these delays and crying wolf and 
putting out false risk perceptions. Dr. McCarry, you do public health for individuals, so collectively. So now I saw the Dodgers are saying, hey, vaccinated people, you could sit together but wear a mask, ridiculous, in California. And now we have colleges saying, get vaccinated before next semester, you're not going to come on campus. Where do you stand on that? Because I understand both things. And my example was if I walk into a 7-Eleven and people listening around the country, it's a 24-hour convenience store. It says no shoes, no, sh- no shirt, no shoes, no service. They're making their own decisions. So the Dodgers are making their own decisions. Maybe American Airlines is going to make their own decisions. Where do you stand on all this? Well, Brian, I can tell you um, I advise some big companies and sporting teams, and I can tell you some of these groups are just afraid of what the media is going to do to them if people are sitting without a mask. Do they really believe that you need a mask if you're sitting outdoors? No. But they're worried about some local news outlet or somebody coming along, shining a camera on the fans and saying, gosh, can you believe how dangerous and reckless this is? So they're managing risk perception. I really don't think they think you need a mask outdoors because guess what? The data is pretty clear. The Irish study, quarter million infections, less than 200 came from the outdoor setting. And most people are immune. So if you're immune, live a normal life. Give it a, give it a month to let the vaccine kick in but then live a normal life. I don't want to tell you about your business, but why are we focusing on things like a spike in the upper Midwest and not focusing on the decrease in Texas, where they do have capacity crowds at Ranger games and they are eligible to sell out uh, at other games? You know, it depends if the Astros want to make the decision they can. But the numbers are going down. Why don't we study that as much as we do the increases? <laughs> right. And, and the public health officials are are so puzzled. You know, it's like the riddle of the Sphinx or something. You know, they can't explain what's happening. And it's very obvious what, what's happening. There's a massive seasonal variation. The sunlight and the air dissipates the aerosolized virus so fast. The risk outdoors is negligible. And we're seeing uh, the South have more time now. So there's less risk and they're getting the vaccine out there faster, you're not seeing the seasonality you're seeing in Michigan. It's like different countries almost in terms of risk. And so it's not a puzzle, right? This is not, you know, the great, you know, Manhattan Project. How do we solve a giant? It's so obvious what's happening. So I think we should have some consensus around what to do here. Yes. And and lastly, uh, just looking at the J&J, they're going to take another look at today. They say the CDC advisory group is going to look at J&J. They have already resumed it, I believe, in Europe. And the numbers of six or seven blood clotting cases out of seven million have some outsiders, amateurs like me, wondering, what do you what do you mean? I'll take that risk, let alone the people that died because they didn't get it or were taken off the line because it wasn't available. What do you expect to happen? And did they overreact? Yeah, look, uh, thousands, maybe even more people died because this J&J paused, the Oxford-AstraZeneca paused internationally. In the U.S. also uh, lost lives because, you know, they call it a pause and because an abundance of safety. Let me tell you what it really was. They could have just told people the risk and stopped denying many Americans that J&J vaccine, which is what they did. And then if you're going to put a pause on it, put it in the group where it's clustered reevaluate in 24 hours, call your experts in that night. What are they doing? And now we've got they we've got a 12 day pause, no new information. And the FDA and CDC, why we have two organizations doing this pause is beyond me. And they're looking for a stapler. They're going to Office Depot. 
They're trying to find some paper to print out the report on. They're meeting the next day. They're tired. I don't know what the hell they're doing, Brian, but it's very obvious to me the data you collect, you get top line data within four hours. Did they have COVID? Was, were they sensitized? Did they have a clotting risk factor? Any common medications or common comorbidities? And you cluster that and you put out top line data within four hours and you get your experts together immediately after that and you make a decision. We, they made a terrible decision. And not only are, have they denied people a life-saving vaccine, but they've created massive vaccine hesitancy that's affecting not just the other vaccines, but the whole world. And that, that did a lot of harm uh, out of their quote unquote abundance of safety. Dr. Makari, thanks so much. Truly appreciate your voice of reason through this entire pandemic, which one day will be in our rearview mirror, I hope. <laughs> Let's hope. Right. Good to be with you, Brian. All right, you got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take your calls when we get back. Maybe even squeeze in a more than help because there are so many stories. I almost as many other stories as I did main stories today. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this in all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. one 408 7669 You know what's just really aggravating beyond aggravating? My great hope is the courts are going to help out. You have a series of lawsuits, the Arizona Attorney General and now the Texas Attorney General putting forward. Then you add to that Stephen Miller's group, the ACLU of the right, and they are looking to sue the federal government for various reasons, for subjecting their states to pandemic exposure, like what's happening at the border, uh, to, for example, allowing legal immigrants to be overrun and not being tested and not providing the security necessary to provide the security they have for their state because it is a federal charge. And how frustrating is it to see your state over? Run your people exasperated, your uh, ranches destroyed, and seeing that the person in charge of it has no interest in covering it, and that's the vice president of the United States. She was told to handle it in March. She has not been there, but you know where she was yesterday? In New Hampshire. It's assumed in New Hampshire she's thinking about 2024. Can you believe this? She's getting closer to the northern border instead of the southern border. And guess what she's blaming the whole surge of the border from? She's blaming it on climate change. Cut 33. We are looking at extensive storm damage because of extreme climate. We're looking at drought in an area and a region where agriculture is one of the most traditionally uh, important um, bases for their economy. We're looking at uh, what's happening in terms of food scarcity as a result of that. And in fact, incredible food insecurity, which... You know, we used to call hunger, it's food insecurity. When you look at the root causes, we're also looking at the issue of, of corruption. Again, we're looking at the issue of climate resiliency and then the, the, the concern about a lack of economic opportunity. So just going to tell you how everybody's in sync. I'm watching ABC's Nightly News, which is by far the number one nightly news, and people do watch it uh, with Bill Muir. And he, is it Bill? Yeah, it's Bill Muir, right? David Muir? Okay. He does a good job. Well, extremely well written. But they sent a reporter down to Guatemala and they sit there and he's going through a farm, a Guatemalan farm. And they said over the last 10 years, this has dried up, made me unable to plant crops. And that's what caused the surge of the border. They had no interest in doing a comprehensive look at the story. They ended the story with this. The vice president of the United States will have a virtual call next week with Guatemala and plans a visit in June. 
excuse me, the way you do that story is you report the way you want to report. If you want to go to one farm and say it dried up and blame it on the sun, go ahead. Now, or somebody's gasoline engine, we'll find out. Go ahead. But you have to call say, we do not have much time. There's a crisis at our border. We have record numbers. We have children coming in. He did a thing with the children in Guatemala, how they're malnourished. But he didn't talk about the dangers of going 9,000 miles and what it means for us in the U.S. That, to me, is completing the story. And it isn't the vice president's coming here in June. Where has the president been since March? I could not do that story for Fox and not do the other side of it. I don't understand how this news organization thinks that's okay to only tell Joe Biden's farm the story. Is it a coincidence that the vice president says it's climate change at the same time ABC does a story that says it's climate change? I don't think so. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So Major League Baseball is now asking ticket holders their political affiliation. Think about this. They have a series of questions. The question about political affiliation is something new. They said they want to know more about their fans and their experience. Well, MLB called the question about political affiliation commonly used. Well, the research has shown that a person self-identified political affiliation often impacts their views about the pandemic, and they want to go do park policy around it. Fans are given options besides Republican and Democrat. They can choose a third party. Uh, they have since taken that off, I believe, right? Well, um, yeah, but what I'm very curious about is what were the results of that survey before the All-Star decision and after the All-Star decision? Yeah, I mean, you know the fans are down, and you know the viewership is down. So no doubt about it. Um, I, I appreciate that they came back last year, but they have done nothing to keep us there this year. Next, President of the United States tells Sean Hannity, I might create my own social platform. Cut 37. Are you considering, there's been speculation, that you might start your own social media platforms? Are you considering that? I am. I'm looking at it. We're looking at different platforms. We have a lot of people that want to come on existing platforms. They have to be strong. They can't be dominated by Amazon and by Google and people that can take them off the air right away. And you do need antitrust. You have to do something about it. See, he needs, you know, I, I know his business is suffering. A lot of people aren't on the golf course, especially internationally. You make a ton of money here. If you do this right, he can make a ton of money, don't you think? Yeah, but it's also a large investment initially. But what will what will be interesting is Facebook's decision or the independent board, whether or not they're going to ban Trump for life, that's going to come in the coming weeks. Yeah, he's got to get away from the behemoths, always. You've thrown our budget a little out of whack. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Privileged to have a big hour coming your way. I'm so glad you are here as we come to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, talk about around the world. We had this big uh, green summit. It's taking place day two today where uh, corporations come in and talk about how they're going to give up profits in order to be more green. Uh, with science, it is anything but settled. And then we're going to have uh, Bjorn Lumberg joining us now, who believes, you know, the, the planet has got issues. But what we're doing about it is not going to help. 
Uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth to give away his, his interview, but that's coming up in 10 minutes. I'll tell you what Joe Biden committed us to and tell you why it better not happen, along with uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, who might just be the next governor of New York. If you see how popular he is on Long Island, if you see what he's already done in Suffolk County, not an easy place to win in, if you see his military background, the role he played and the popularity he has with the Trump crowd, and he's very pro-military, as well as uh, one over a, a wide swaths of the American, excuse me, the New York Jewish community, being of Jewish heritage and a great friend to Israel, uh, he might be one of the rare politicians that has a, Republican politicians that has a shot at taking that governor's seat. Because everyone knows we got one of the worst governors ever, who finally has been shown to be the emperor with no clothes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that if you are outside and not close to people, you still need to wear a mask? You know, this is a question that we're looking at. We have this complex message that we still have hotspots in this country, and we will be looking at the outdoor uh, masking question. I can't even hear it without getting angry. Even the New York Times says she's full of it. Masking under fire. Now experts say what we've been saying all along. Masking everywhere, all the time, any place, even after vaccination, is crushing trust and creating hypochondriacs. Why should Americans even get the vaccine if their lives won't change? That story and things pandemic-related coming your way. Number two. Say, I can't help but think what would happen if we had social workers present. I remember fights in, in even high school where a kid brought a pen knife or something to school and teachers were able to defuse that and they didn't have guns. Shoot the gun in the air as a warning. There's something wrong with this. Parade of idiots. Joe Biden's, uh, excuse me, policing in America is under fire. We review the latest flashpoints, reform pushes, and push back on the president's belief that America is a racist nation. Number one. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half, in half by the end of this decade. You know, really? these steps will set America on a path of net zero emissions economy by no later than 2050. Fantastic. Uh, as Al Sharpton and John Kerry get back in the private jets, I'm sure they're motivated to do this. Uh, President Biden's Build Back Better agenda is doing anything uh, but that as his tax plan, new family plan, D.C. state push, and now sacrifice to the altar of green energy has our enemies laughing and many clear-thinking Americans steaming. And that's where we'll begin. So the president's got this green somebody so proud of, and everyone hails America's back to lead their way when it comes to the new Green Deal and the Paris climate change. I'm not celebrating because this is unsettled science in many respects. We're already doing things through natural gas that the president should be emphasizing, nuclear energy the president should be emphasizing, a natural evolutionary push uh, towards renewables, which makes sense, but not destroying oil and gas and pretending as if you're not trying for natural gas, which burns clean. Not acknowledging that the numbers have dipped primarily because we've gotten this big fracking boom. And every time you hear natural gas, think of clean, burning energy. So the president's got this agenda. And let's talk about this new family plan he's rolling out next week. I know what you're saying. Uh, wait a second. Are you talking about the infrastructure plan? No, no, that's $2.2 trillion. Are you talking about the COVID plan that was really not about the COVID virus, which is over a trillion? No, not that. What are you talking about then? You're talking about a brand new, never before mentioned, $1.5 trillion family plan. A family plan. 
And how they're going to pay for that family plan by taxing those horrible rich people, the most productive, creative people on the planet that fuel and save more people's lives and end more hunger in more countries than anything else. Capitalism saves, but not when you tax it. The president will announce, and he leaked this out to Bloomberg, that he's going to up the capital gains tax from 23 to 43 percent. So you add in things like California's 13% state tax and New York's 11, which is going up, plus the 3.88 in New York City, which is also a capital gains tax as regular income. You have a situation where in big states and big cities, high tax states, almost all blue, you're giving up six out of every $10 you make to the federal government. I don't care how rich you are. The rich don't get rich by giving away their money to programs that will never pay off. The Dow sees this, and they lose 321 points. My fear is this. The economy is going to bounce back in it every way. Why? Because we put it, we dug, we pulled it to the side of the road and shut the engine off for almost a year, then moved it five miles an hour instead of 55 for about six months. Just recently, we're up to 60 miles an hour with this economy, not close to maxing out. And that means it's going to be a comeback. The GDP number is going to go up. The unemployment's going to go down. And they're going to say, Joe Biden's programs are working. No, we just didn't stop the economy like we had to because of the global pandemic, which was all started by Russia. So the president's agenda will include D.C. as a state. The House passes D.C. statehood, pure party lines. They want to get it to the Senate, blow up the filibuster and pass it. It's not constitutional. I'm not that worried about it. But when you have a situation like this, and in the end, it doesn't pass— and people dig in and say, what are you talking about? 700,000 people are in D.C. It's a Democratic enclave. If you want them to have a vote, absorb back into Maryland. Go back to what George Washington, James Madison said about this. It should not be a state. It should be nonpartisan. But it didn't stop the newest member of the squad, Congressman Mondaire Jones, for seeing the Republicans' rejection of this as, fill in the blank, racist. Cut 10. I have had enough of my colleagues' racist insinuations that somehow the people of Washington, D.C. are incapable or even unworthy of our democracy. One of my House Republican colleagues said that D.C. shouldn't be a state because the district doesn't have a landfill. (laughs) My goodness, with all the racist trash my colleagues have brought to this debate, I can see why they're worried about having a place to put it. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy had a press conference and just talked about You should all see this, and I hope you see this. Even if I have some Democrats, uh, many Democrats listening to the show, and they're listening to this, like Harold Ford, uh, who lives in New York, you know what this is about. It isn't about giving people representation. It's about two more Senate seats. Cut 11. And today, the House Democrats are moving on D.C. statehood, another ploy to consolidate power so they can jam through socialist policies like the Green New Deal, court packing, and defunding of the police. They are not even denying that that is their objective. If you watched uh, Congressman Raskin, he is on record saying this. There is a national political logic for D.C. statehood, too, because the Senate has become the principal obstacle to social progress across a whole range of issues. That doesn't exactly support the representation argument that some try to falsely state. I'm all for Frederick Douglass getting a state or city named after him. But not this way. 
And they're going to do it if the, they're going to call it the Washington Douglas, whatever they want to call it. But it's never going to happen. It better not. My feeling is when you bring up these radical ideas and they get close, if people get more and more used to it, then they get to accept it on it. And Joe Biden should know better. But as Victor Def- De- uh, Davis Hanson said, you know, when you look at Joe Biden, and I point this out every day in his radical agenda and the passing of money that we don't have and the spending that's going to be coming and the big government guy that's here, he says that Joe Biden has never been and never will be a uniter. Cut 14. We're talking about a Joe Biden that never existed. Joe Biden throughout his career was not a uniter. He was a person that destroyed Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas in their confirmation hearings. This was a guy, when it was popular, was a strong supporter of Southern racists like James O. Eastland. And he was a good friend of Robert Byrd. And he said a lot of divisive things. I mean, if you take any politician in the last 20 years and you collate what they said on race, whether it's you ain't black or you're junkie or Barack Obama is the first clean, articulate black man or this donut shop is full of Indians. He said a lot of polarizing things. Always does. And they say, well, that's Joe Biden putting his foot in his mouth. That's why he's not president. Well, what he did is stayed in his basement. The pandemic let it happen. And now he's president and we're stuck with him. But Victor Davis Hanson took the mask off, pun intended. Real quick, I don't want to take too much time away from uh, our green energy expert, Bjorn Lomborg. But I do want to talk about policing in America that's getting such a bad rap. The basic family is falling apart in this country. And when you look in these urban environments, a lot of the dis- only discipline they get in their lives is from police. And if you go into an area that's heavily concentrated in crime, of course, sometimes you got to make a mistake. But that's the more activity that you're a part of. But the police are forced to bear the brunt of what's going on in society today, especially in the black family, in minority families. That's just the fact. And if you want to flood the area with mentors and we could start helping out the best we can, that would be the answer. But police having every move examined by people who don't know anything about anything when it comes to police work has got to stop. Especially when the story in Columbus, Ohio comes out, they see two teenagers struggling. There's a 911 call. They got a knife. The cop shows up. He's been on the job just a few months, but he's got a military background. Sees a knife about to plunge into another teen and takes out the girl that was about to stab him. Suddenly, it looks like the white cop shooting black teenagers or black children. So instead of looking down and seeing the surveillance camera from across the street, which says my story is 100% correct, and you're going to get the investigation, LeBron James tweets out and basically puts a target on this guy. He should be banned for Twitter forever until further notice, but they don't touch it. He deletes the tweet. They're afraid of LeBron James leaving because it's even bigger than the president in terms of followers. So when it comes to Makia Bryant, She shouldn't be dead, but she also shouldn't try to stab someone in the heart. That's a problem. So when we come back, I'm going to uh, talk to Lee Zeldin about that because there was a big shooting on Long Island. Uh, Someone walked in, uh, a black guy that used to work in a supermarket, starts shooting everybody, killing people. There was a getaway. There was a chase. They get him. Not a shot was fired to take him in, and he is healthy in prison. Nobody talks about that. Why? Because cops found going after a black assailant, and he was captured and now imprisoned. That's not a story. But you should point it out to balance it out. one 408 When we come back, Bjorn Lumberg joins us. What did the president promise, and how is it going to affect you? Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But the truth is, American represents less than 15% of the world's emissions. No nation can solve this crisis on our own, as I know you all fully understand. All of us, all of us, and particularly those of us who represent the world's largest economies, we have to step up. Uh, There you go. Uh, That is the President of the United States uh, leading his summit on climate change. Bjorn Lomborg joins us now, the president of the Copenhagen Consensus and visiting fellow at the Hoover Institute, Stanford University. His latest book is called False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. That was until this summit. Have you heard a good fix, Bjorn? Do you feel like you got to do an addendum to your paperback <laughs> when it comes out? Hi, Brian. Uh, no, unfortunately not. Really, what we saw here was Biden promising uh, uh, quite unprecedented a doubling of the cuts promised by the Obama administration. But even if he manages to do so, and remember, it has to be another president that will actually lead it through because these promises go to 2030. Even if he manages to do that, and if he managed future presidents to hold on to that promise for the rest of the century, it will reduce temperatures by the end of the century by 0.07 degrees Fahrenheit. This is not what's going to solve our problem. And, of course, that's the real conundrum that's facing Biden. And and that was also uh, the quote that you heard up front. It cannot be solved by the U.S. alone. This has to be about the rest of the world and especially the developing world that's looking to get rich. So China made no commitments yesterday, nor did Russia, nor did India. China has swamped uh, swamped the declines the U.S. has had. Uh, at the Paris Climate Show in 2015, China committed only to begin reducing emissions in 2030 and has continued to build coal plants and expand industrial production. And they don't even lie about it. Their CO2 emissions increased by more between 2015 and today than the U.K.'s total emissions in all of 2019. So what's the point? Yeah. And, and it, well, well the, the whole point, of course, is to realize, look, global warming is a real problem. It's not the... Uh, uh, the existential crisis that you're being told about is not the end of the world by any means, but it is a problem, and we should fix it. We should fix it smartly. We should fix it like we've fixed most other problems uh, that, have, uh, that have occurred uh, for the last couple hundred years. We fix it through technology. Uh, remember back in the 1950s, uh, Los Angeles was a terribly polluted place. The Biden approach to fixing Los Angeles, it was mostly caused by cars, would be to go to tell all uh, Los Angeles uh, inhabitants to say, I'm sorry, could you stop driving your car and run or bike instead? And of course, that would never have worked. What did work was somebody invented the catalytic converter and you put it on your car back in 1974. Yes, it cost a couple hundred dollars, but then it basically fixes the problem. That's the way we should solve climate change. We should innovate a lot more so we can innovate green energy down below fossil fuels. And then, of course, the Chinese and the Indians and the Africans and the Latin Americans will all pick this up, as will we, because it's cheaper, not because it is hard and difficult and it'll make people's lives miserable. Bjorn, Bjorn here's what also worries me. When, you know, we're buried in debt. We're writing checks on it with nothing in the account. 
And now we're going to commit, commit to an international climate finance plan to underwrite the transition to a decarbonized global economy. As he presides over his summit, he says it's a moral imperative. Really? So I got to give money into a global <clears throat> kitty to help developing nations who promise to put it towards climate change. Excuse me. If you give me money and my population is starving, I am not going to uh, get you an electric car. No. And, and I think there's two things to that. I actually don't think you need to be all that worried about that particular kitty uh, because we promised that before. Uh, remember uh, back in 2009, uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was uh, uh, foreign, uh, uh, Secretary of State, she actually promised $100 billion to the developing world starting in 2020. And, of course, they've seen nothing of that. Uh, so, so I think we've had a lot of promises that have not actually been uh, followed up. I think we should be more worried about the fact that Biden is suggesting that we should be spending about $500 billion in the U.S. every year to follow up on his climate plan. That is the money that we don't have, and that's going to be incredibly expensive. And that's, of course, belies the whole argument, oh, this is going to make us all prosperous. No, I'm sorry. Climate policy, which forces you to use energy that you otherwise wouldn't have used, will make you less well-off. It's not going to send us to the poorhouse, but it will have significant costs. And we should be honest about that. And the, the point here is to recognize we need to weigh the two. We need to weigh what are we paying to what are we getting. And the honest answer is we're paying a lot and getting very little, which of course is why China and India and everybody else don't want to be part of this. We should be spending on research and development, which is much cheaper and much more likely to succeed and ultimately will be much more effective to both fix climate change, but of course also drive general development so that, I don't know, my cell phone will get a better battery and many other things uh, along the way. We just It's just not politically correct to say the things that you're saying. You know, climate change is, is real, <laughs> no. but this is the responsible way to do it and that developing countries will pay the biggest price. Uh, and, and most of our enemy countries and our rivals are not going to take part, even if they give lip service to doing it. Bjorn Lundberg, thanks so much. Calls next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I have had enough of my colleagues' racist insinuations that somehow the people of Washington, D.C. are incapable or even unworthy of our democracy. One of my House Republican colleagues said that D.C. shouldn't be a state because the district doesn't have a landfill. (laughs) My goodness, with all the racist trash my colleagues have brought to this debate, I can see why they're worried about having a place to put it. You believe that? That's Mondaire Jones, congressman from New York, the latest member of the squad who sees race in everything, sees race in the fact that the Constitution claims that we should not have Washington, D.C. as a state. But that's racist. I believe that the whole region is, I think the Commonwealth or whatever you call it, the district, is 46 percent white and 46 percent black. Uh, joining us now is Congressman Lee Zeldin, who works there part-time and works in on Long Island the other time. Congress, who's running for governor uh, to take and hopefully fill the seat that Governor Cuomo is currently occupying until the investigations are through. Congressman Zeldin, did you see race in protesting the existence of Washington, D.C. as a separate state? 
Not, not at all. It was based off of uh, founding fathers' intent. It's based off of the Constitution and the reality that this is a a power grab. The reason why this is being done is to grab two new Democratic senators, but this requires a constitutional amendment. They're trying to get around that to do it legislatively. And our founding fathers carefully crafted the Constitution so that the seat of the federal government would not be within the influence of an individual state. So they passed it on a simple majority, and now it's going to go over to the Senate, and they're going to try to uh, blow up the filibuster and pass it, and then you got to challenge it uh, in court. But basically there's no norm that Joe Biden, the 78-year-old so-called moderate, doesn't want to blow up, whether it's the Supreme Court or we're going now for family a family plan that's going to cost us $1.5 trillion next week. Do you ever get the sense that he doesn't like anything that, about this country? I think that he has people around him who are rolling him and making the, the and making the decisions and calling the shots. And oftentimes, I don't even know if, if Joe Biden is really in charge. And then, I remember during the campaign, I would pose the question: If Joe Biden is elected president, who's going to be the president? Uh, and I, I see it time and time again. Where Pelosi, where Schumer, you have Susan Rice at the White House, uh, Kamala Harris, and others. There, there are folks who say that uh, you should you know, invoke uh, the, the the Constitution and uh, remove him from power because he's not fit. Then you end up with a President Harris with you know, Nancy Pelosi uh, there having an opportunity to be even uh, w- within one less breath away from uh, the presidency herself. So uh, I would say that he does not have a mandate to do this because during his campaign, as you pointed out, when you said so-called moderate, that was the type of person that he and his campaign were trying to present to the American public. The problem with the basement strategy and not answering the tough questions during the campaign is that you can't then come into office and start packing the court when your position during the campaign is that you're opposed to court packing. He didn't say during the campaign that if you elect me that we are going to uh, be making Washington, D.C. the 51st state. That wasn't the main part of his platform, so there's no mandate to do it. Uh, and uh, I really hope Joe Manchin's made it three months. Uh, Kristen Cinema is another person who gets mentioned. I sure hope that they make it standing their ground for two years, uh, because if, if they go along with rolling back the filibuster, our country's screwed. I would think so. And meanwhile, to throw out the filibuster, do you know if you pushed against it? By the way, every Democrat was against it about uh, six months ago, they wrote a big letter, please don't blow up the filibuster, you're not allowed, it's not true, you'll destroy the country. Now they have the a, the slimmest of slim majorities, and they're saying we have to blow it up, we have no choice. Listen to what Cory Bush says, this is fascinating, about the filibuster, cut 12. There is this old, outdated, racist rule called the filibuster that has been used to deny our basic human rights, and they are continuing in their tradition of weaponizing the filibuster to deny people in America everything that we love. Really? So it's racist to go for the filibuster now? And what's so fascinating about that is if Republicans were in charge, that speech that she just gave would be the opposite. (laughs) The problem with a lot of Democrats is that they don't do double standard hypocrisy gut checks. My position on the filibuster has long been the same regardless of of who is in power. Uh, And you you don't just change it in a whim based off of who is in charge that day. And I guarantee you that if something happened Mm. where tomorrow you ended up with Republicans with a one-seat advantage, 
Corey Bush would have the opposite position. Uh, and that's uh, that's the crazy shame of all of it and all the, the moral equivalencies and slippery slope double standards you see uh, from Pelosi and the Democrats in Congress. Uh, and I think more of the media and others need to call them out on you. do You call them out on it, but many others actually cover for it. It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, everything's a race. Everything is race related, but it's almost like a blizzard of racial accusations that mute the whole thing. But I want you to hear in the past how these same people that are calling for the elimination of the filibuster, what they've said in the past. What about that nuclear option doing away with the filibuster? Well, I can tell you that would be the end of the Senate as it was originally uh, devised and created going back to our founding fathers. The point is we still left the 60 votes in place right. for the Supreme you Court bring it back? and yeah. Mitch McConnell changed that. I would prefer to bring it back. Without the 60 vote threshold for legislation, the Senate becomes a majoritarian institution like the House, much more subject to the winds of short-term electoral change. No senator would like to see this happen. I mean, they, they, how do they do this with a straight face, knowing that we just had him a year ago saying something totally different? Because when you play that clip about a short-term electoral, the whims of short-term electoral change, uh, Chuck Schumer's calculation is that there's a short-term memory and that the media will cover for him and that they, they can go back and forth in these positions and get away with it. And quite frankly, this operation, this these tactics of Schumer and the Democrats have resulted in now Chuck Schumer being the, the Senate majority leader. So I think they say it because they know that they'll get away with it. And, yeah, everything's racist right now. Everything, by the way, is also infrastructure. And it, it's this reliance on dumbing down the electorate and thinking that the American public is dumber than they should be getting credit for. Uh, and hoping that the media is going to just continue to hold their water. Uh, but on the filibuster point, you know, what you'll hear from uh, people uh, from conservative to liberal, Republicans and Democrats, when they take off their partisan hat, they will say the filibuster helps you more in the minority than it hurts you when you're in the majority. It can be frustrating when uh, you're in the majority and you, know, you have all of these different House-passed bills that you want to jam through and enact law with a, with a massive power play. Um, but it, you know, th this goes back and forth. And after 2022, I'm confident there's going to be a change in the balance of power in Washington, D.C. And uh, you know, the, a position today is one you can end up regretting tomorrow if you don't think long term mm -hmm. and to establish consistency in your argument. So that must have made it a hard decision for you because I believe you're right. But they, if the Republicans don't blow it and you've got to save the country at this point looking at this agenda. So that might be hard for you, knowing that you could be in the majority. It's much different feeling in the House. But you made the decision to run for governor. So it is, I understand, money-wise, uh, Congressman, it's been a huge success. How have you done? Over the first 10 days of the campaign, we announced on April 8th, we raised over $2.5 million. Uh, I, right now, am traveling the state for the third time since announcing on April 8th. We did four counties uh, the first time, seven counties last weekend. We're back at it again this weekend. Uh, so far, uh, the Republicans, in order to get 50, in order to be the endorsed candidate of the party, you need 50 percent of the weighted vote statewide. 39 percent have endorsed so far. We received all 39 percent. The conservative mm -hmm. party 
just started their endorsements a few days later this week. The first 23% announced uh, their endorsements. Again, you need 50% of the conservative weighted vote. We're at 23%. We got all 23% of the endorsements that have come out. More are coming out today. Uh, so we're feeling good about the support we're getting in so many different ways. We're working hard. Somebody contacted me and said, hey, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You should hit the brakes. I said, this is the lowest gear I have. Yeah. What we're trying to do here in New York State to save this state is a reason why we have to start early. We have to get all around the state. Everyone everywhere has to be all in and hungry, or it's not going to happen. We'll end up with more of the same. We're going into a midterm. This is the first time in my lifetime. It's one-party Democratic rule in New York City, Albany, and D.C. And with all the failed policies that are coming out that are increasing the cost of living and taxes, that are eroding public safety and causing a rise of crime and not supporting law enforcement or, or, or impacting quality of education in a way that has people looking at other states. They're looking at Florida and they're saying, why doesn't my dollar go as far? Why does Why do my family members who live in Florida have more freedoms than I do? Why is the the quality of this or that better? Why do they feel safer? And uh, a lot of people want that here in New York. We can restore it to glory, uh, but it's not going to happen on its own. We can't take anything for granted. Do you believe, Congressman, Congressman, do you believe you're going to be running against Cuomo? Do you think he's going to try to bull his way through these scandals? Right now, we are running against Andrew Cuomo, and he's refusing to resign if at some point uh, he isn't the candidate and someone else is. We're going to be ready for him because we're not just running against the corruption scandals, intimidation, abuse, cover-ups, uh, the bullying that we see from Andrew Cuomo. We're also running against the failed policies. The, they, they just created the highest income tax rate in the country to pay for a multi-billion dollar fund for people who are illegally here. The cashless fail, the list goes on. And if you replace Andrew Cuomo with some of these other options, they're actually further to the left. I know. So I want you to hear what Governor Cuomo, for some reason, he the people that told him to resign are actually appearing with him, including the leader of the Senate. And you don't see much fervent behind Senator Schumer telling him to resign. And then he's getting softball handpicked questions when he does his pressers. But this one got through from the New York Post. If the attorney general's report concludes that under state law, you did sexually harass employees, will you resign from office? Yes or no? Uh, let's see what the review says, and then we'll take it from there. Well, can you please clarify exactly what that means? Will you resign from office if she concludes you did violate uh, the sexual harassment laws in this state? Yeah, let's see what the report says, and then we will take it from there. It, it, it just does. Okay. They dropped the call. I mean, what kind of country, what kind of state is this? How do you drop the call? Yeah, he has. You know, it's interesting because some of the reporters have finally become emboldened to speak out about the way that Cuomo and his team treat the media in Albany. And you, but what you can gather by reading a story from one reporter in Albany is that basically every other reporter can share the same story many, many times over. This is just the way he operates. You just played a perfect example of how Andrew Cuomo operates towards everyone, towards the media, towards staffers, towards other legislators. Uh, the guy's been there too long, and it, it's time to go. And this is why he has so many allegations, no reservoir of goodwill built up, a house of cards to support. Uh, and this is the final chapter of Andrew Cuomo's time in elected office. Has Donald Trump, have you reached out to the president? I know he's a big fan of yours, and you were uh, very respectful for him with him. 
Yeah, I've been in touch with uh, President Trump throughout the process. Uh, he's called. We've met uh, in person. And he has a lot of uh, supporters around New York State, especially as I travel around parts of upstate uh, where he had really, really high numbers. And he's from New York and his uh, he has a business and so many memories of his own life, family members. Uh, Eric, uh, you know, obviously running the business uh, as well with uh, with others. And uh, you know, this is something he's paying close attention to. There's 50 states he cares about uh, the entire country, but uh, New York has a special place in his heart. Yeah, now with uh, Governor Cuomo's made it very an un- unwelcoming place, and Mayor De Blasio's embarrassed the country and New Yorkers uh, by law and order. Now, here's the fact, Congressman. As popular as you are with the military background, you defy the odds winning in Suffolk. Not an easy thing to do there. Every got to fight for every vote. Uh, and then you have the American Jewish community. The New York Jewish community certainly has your respect. It's still an uphill battle. Is there anything you can learn from Governor Pataki or is it just a di- he was a Republican who was a three term governor or is it just a different New York right now? Well, we looked at the numbers in every single county. And, for example, in New York City, when you're running for mayor, obviously you have to win New York City. But when you're running statewide, you have to get 29 percent of the vote. We can lose New York City by 40 points and still be hitting our numbers around the state. Maybe it used to be 27 percent, where now it's 29 percent. Uh, in you know, Westchester County, George Pataki won. You know, maybe we, we, we win the numbers we have, 43 percent. Uh, so the, you know, we have to do really well in Long Island, Suffolk and Nassau County. Uh, I'm from Suffolk County. That's where my house district is. And we're going to do great upstate, but we're not taking anything for granted. Every single person who's listening to your show – Anywhere in New York, no matter how large or how small of a county they live in, everybody everywhere has to be all in. The timing is right. We talked about the alignment a little bit earlier, a few minutes ago. We're running against a weaker, more vulnerable, more beatable opponent than they've put up the last few times out. Nobody is like, you know, uh, Elliot Spitzer, vintage 06, or Andrew Cuomo, vintage 2010, that other stratosphere of popularity and support. We got to raise the money. We got to knock on the doors. We got to make the phone calls. And we have to start early, and that's why we're in the race 19 months out. Congressman Lee Zeldin, uh, I know you. I know no one's going to say he should have worked harder. That's pretty clear. Uh, and hopefully you can do it, and we get some fracking in upstate New York and be able to revitalize that region that should have been done and passed all the, all, all the environmental impact studies, but still Cuomo didn't do it. You would. Uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again, obviously. Thank you. Look right. forward to it. ZeldinForNewYork.com. Absolutely. I hope you run. I, I hope you get the nomination, and I hope you win it. Uh, someone's got to save New York, and certainly not this guy that we have now. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. David Cameron was talking about. Oh, I'm really sorry. That's my son arriving. Sorry, really embarrassed. Sorry. Hold on one second. Sorry. Both hands up this time. Plug them up and in. Yay! We've got fruit snacks. Negated the five other counties. Leo. Leo. Hi, Leo. That's your son, Leo. Okay, girls, how about you go right over there and let's watch Daddy do his stuff, okay? Oh, you want to stay? Okay, no, no, please, no, no crying, no crying. Hey, can you say it's going to be sunny today? No, it's going to be hot? Okay, good work. All right, come over this way, sweetheart. Hi. 
66 was our high temperature. Sweet, no, 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 no. You got to be quiet while Daddy's talking. Okay. 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 So that is a bunch of news anchors doing their show out of their house. That Jimmy Kimmel ran this montage last night of their kids walking out in the middle of the shot. And it's amazing. Some of these uh, anchors or contributors are panicking when they see them. Others say it's no big deal. And then others, which obviously doesn't work for radio, they don't even know their kids in the back, like giving them bunny ears and yeah. doing silly things. It's it's quite entertaining. Hey, let's go out to Brian. has been very patient, WRCN in Suffolk. Brian, you think Lee Zeldin has a shot? I love Lee Zeldin. I hope he runs, and I hope he wins, and I will actively try and support that effort. He's going to do um, it. But you want to talk about LeBron and the shooting in Columbus. Yeah, you know, I, I do. I, you know, when, when that when you see that picture and, and that scene unfold from multiple different angles, you know, a lot of people focus on that blade, and 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 what what I think people are missing is that girl's father kicked the other to the right. That girl's father kicked the girl on the ground's head like it was a football. Okay, and and who knows what type of damage he could have done to her. That's true, too. No one's really gotten to the bottom of this. We're about to find out. Thanks, Brian. Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We appreciate you being here, especially with all the choices you have. Uh, and you're honored to stop by us. Meanwhile, we're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, and we're, we're witnessed around the world. Shannon Bream is just getting out of the shower. She wanted me to buy some time, so I will. And then Sandra Smith at the bottom of the hour. I'll be on. Uh, their show, America Reports, I think around one fifteen, And I think I'm going to be talking a little bit about, what am I talking about again? Oh, I think I'm talking about this the woman who wants her five-year-old to go to school without a mask, and she lost it in Georgia. I'll be talking about that. She actually joined Fox & Friends first today. So before I get to Shannon, let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that if you are outside and not close to people, you still need to wear a mask? You know, this is a question that we're looking at. We have this complex message that we still have hotspots in this country, and we will be looking at the outdoor uh, masking question. Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, knows the answer to that is you don't need to wear a mask. She will not give an answer. Masking is under fire. The New York Times is bringing it up. The Washington Post is bringing it up. The the uh, the New Republic. These are left wing organizations and and outlets who are saying, "What's going on with the mask? Why am I getting a vaccine if nothing else is going to change in my life? You are creating a nation of hypochondriacs. Why should Americans even get it if nothing changes? We'll talk about it." Number two. Say, I can't help but think what would happen if we had social workers present. I remember fights in, in even high school where a kid brought a pen knife or something to school and teachers were able to defuse that and they didn't have guns. Shoot the gun in the air as a warning. There's something wrong with this. You have to, you guys have to watch Tucker's monologue from last night. Knife fights are totally okay. Hey, we used to have knife fight. What's the big deal? Valerie Jarrett said the same thing. Policing in America, that is under fire. Review the latest flashpoints. Reform pushes, push back on the president's belief that America is a racist society. I don't believe that. 
Number one. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half, in half by the end of this decade. You know, these steps will set America on a path of net zero emissions economy by no later than 2050. Yes, so it will set us back 400 years. Thanks, Joe Biden. Your Build Back Better agenda is doing anything but. As the tax plan, your new family plan, the D.C. state push, and now packing the court, and now sacrifice of the altar of green energy has our enemies laughing and many clear-thinking Americans steaming. One person who never loses her temper. I don't think I could ever say Shannon Bream is steaming and have that make sense is Shannon Bream. She's the same Shannon Bream with the best-selling author of The Woman of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and the Lessons for Today, and the same Shannon Bream for Fox News at Night that starts at 12. Hey, Shannon. Good morning. So you've never been steaming. When's the last time you said, wow, I am so up, I'm enraged? Um, Enraged? Yes. I don't know. That's right. been a while. But I do occasionally have a short fuse. Been known to have that. So how... I don't think you've been known to have that. I would think that maybe it happened once, so that's probably it. So on, on the President Biden's agenda, I'm going to have a 36-person commission pretend it's bipartisan about packing the court. I think I'm going to make it D.C. a state. I think I'm going to go for the new Green Deal. Basically, we elected Bernie Sanders and didn't know it. Well, you're getting rid of the filibuster, too. Oh, yeah. We've got to plan on that because that's going to make a lot of these things easier to get done. I mean, listen, President Biden talked a lot about bipartisanship. He ran as a moderate. But the truth is, I mean, he was he was saying things along the way that that let you know um, that he probably was not going to be a guy that was all about unity. I mean, even The Washington Post and New York Times, I mean, there are a lot of, um, you know, outlets out there that are writing pieces saying um, he is not bipartisan. He's not about unity. Uh, But the sort of redefining it. You know, they, they'll, they'll pass something like the nearly $2 trillion COVID mm-hmm. package, this massive package that passed, not a single Republican vote. And then they go out there and praise it as a bipartisan-supported achievement. I mean, it's, it, it's just demonstrably false. I mean, there was not a single bipartisan vote. I mean, not a Republican vote. Um, so I think that he's going to play word games. They're doing that a lot, whether it comes to the border or to unity or bipartisanship. Um, but he offered, and, and even on Inauguration Day, talked about that unity and working together with Republicans and Democrats, and it doesn't seem like in reality it is. Doesn't he mean like the efforts there? And Victor Davis Hanson said this, looking back at Joe Biden's career, cut 14. We're talking about a Joe Biden that never existed. Joe Biden throughout his career was not a uniter. He was a person that destroyed Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas in their confirmation hearings. This was a guy, when it was popular, was a strong supporter of Southern racists like James O. Eastland. And he was a good friend of Robert Byrd. And he said a lot of divisive things. I mean, if you take any politician in the last 20 years and you collate what they said on race, whether it's you ain't black or you're junkie or Barack Obama is the first clean, articulate black man or this donut shop is full of Indians. He said a lot of polarizing things. I don't know if he said exactly the donut shop is full of Indians, but he said you can't go into Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, That's what he said. Uh, right, yeah, you can't, or you can't work there yeah. without a strong Indian accent. I mean, honestly, if a Republican said something like Anything. that, you should call them out. I mean, those are ridiculous statements. Um, but it's like everything that he says along those lines has been memory hold. It's true. So that's what we can expect as he tries to pass D.C. statehood. Today is day two of the, the climate summit. So we know this. He has gotten us in knee deep in some type of commitment. We're going to get rid of all... Uh, I think fossil fuels by 2030, right? I don't think he'll still be president. 
I'm not sure he's going to last to the end of his term, let alone that term. Uh, but he wants to do this. China made absolutely no pledge. India made no pledge. Mm-hmm. We've already cut uh, emissions because of the pandemic and our natural gas uh, ahead of schedule. Are, is there a concern that that he's going to actually destroy the fossil fuel industry more than he's already affected it? Well, here's my question. I, I know that a couple years ago there was a countdown clock. I can't remember what it was. We had 11 years left or 12. Like, I can't remember, but... By 2030, we're all going to be dead anyway, so I don't know if it matters if we try to get to the fossil fuel thing because the planet's not going to exist anymore. I mean, when you say these things, you lose people. I mean, you want them to be there helping to take care of the planet and make responsible decisions, those kinds of things. But when you come out and say things like we're getting rid of all fossil fuels or whatever it is that, that we're doing now, I mean, it's they're very lofty. And um, it is ridiculous to think about, you know, the biggest polluters out there, like China and India that you mentioned, um, China is never going to want to help us with this. I mean, they they just, they don't. And they have, you know, it's hard to believe they have good intentions where this is, um, you know, playing out on the world stage. I, I think the stat I read yesterday was that they put together and reopened more coal fire plants in the last year than the entire world, yep. the rest of the world, something like that. I mean, they're not on board with this, and we have to think strategically, the U.S. does, about what we commit to and what, how we're going to hurt our own economy if we're not wise about doing these things and putting ourselves at a disadvantage against a country like China that has definitely doesn't have our economic interests at heart. Right. So a couple of things that are going on. We're going to cut 90% of red meat out of our diet. That's four pounds a year. Switch to an all-electric car. Okay, approximately $50,000 of these electric cars. Install new electric heat pumps in everybody's home because can't use uh, any gas. Even though natural gas burns clean and nuclear burns clean, it doesn't matter. So if you love your gas stove, forget about it. So we're all going to have to sacrifice. And meanwhile, nobody thinks it's going to affect the planet significantly. Evidently, we have to get the planet to drop 1.5 degrees or else it's doomsday for all of us. Nothing we'll doing, Europe is doing, will do this. What is going, what's the subplot here, Shannon? Have you thought about the big picture? Do you really think this is a sincere push to save Earth? Well, first of all, I think that President Biden is being pulled very far left by the progressive flank of his party. He's trying to manage everybody and keep everybody happy, but they're making these demands about um, getting rid of energy production as we know it in the U.S. Um, so I think that he's trying to keep his coalition together, and he is, um, you know, I-, I think a lot less moderate than he campaigns as, um, and he's certainly under pressure from his left wing. But you've got to think about other countries. We're never going to be their priority. And if they no. think our economy can in some way be stunted by some of these moves, you got to think that many of them are going to be secretly cheering for that. I mean, we have to be smart about it. And yes, we all want to do a better job taking care of our planet and being responsible about clean water and all of those things. I don't think anybody is against that kind of stuff. But you have to think about the world stage, what other people's motives are. When they ask mm. us to do things, they're not going to do. While John Kerry gets in a private jet, now Sharpton hives in a private jet, we're all doing that. We don't you think you think Mike Bloomberg is taking commercial? So all these people are Oh, my pro- gosh. Just- if I see him, I, I will tweet that out. Absolutely. Hanging out at LaGuardia. So what about D.C. as a state? They say, well, how dare you not want D.C. to be a state? Chuck Todd weighed in on the, uh, on the Today Show today and thinks it's actually – he sees a scenario where it happens within 10 years. Cut 16. It has momentum, not this year, but I call it momentum this decade. And I do think the path to D.C. statehood, actually, it goes through Puerto Rico. And in fact, the movement for Puerto Rico statehood has been gaining momentum. And that actually has some Republican allies. So what's going to happen here? And I've talked with actually the governor of Puerto Rico. He wants to work with 
the district, if you will, the same people organizing. Because in many ways, there is more openness on the right, particularly with Florida's Republican senators for Puerto Rico statehood. It ain't going to happen this year. But I think we're going to see a new flag, probably with two more stars on it, probably by the end of this decade. I do think the momentum is there. A majority Latino state in Puerto Rico, majority African-American state in, in the district. I, I think it's going to happen. What do you sense? Because doesn't this take you? You're the uh, the constitutional expert, but doesn't this take a, a two thirds of the Senate, at least sixty votes? Yeah, I mean, this is a very long path, um, and I, I would say if you're ranking them, that I would say Puerto Rico happens before D.C. But I don't know that realistically either one of them is within reach, um, because I think Republicans know that this is for the Democrats. I mean, they're saying it out loud now. They're not just saying, hey, taxation without representation when D.C. is concerned. I mean, they're openly talking about the two seats that they would add to the Senate um, that would be – I mean, almost guaranteed for the foreseeable future to be Democratic seats. Um, so, listen, they're openly talking about what some of their aims are for doing that. So I think that D.C. is going to be a really heavy lift anytime soon. But it goes back to what, you know, Chuck Schumer, who's now the Senate Majority Leader, said about those races in Georgia. Like, we win these races, we change Georgia, then we change the country. So, um, you know, when people vote or choose not to vote, they should remember those things. Now, Shannon, real quick about... Uh, Amy Barrett Cone uh, Combs uh, Comey's Amy Barrett Com- Amy Coney Barrett I knew that ACB. Amy Coney Barrett she has mm-hmm. a book deal now uh, two mm-hmm. million dollars she's getting some criticism for signing this book deal number one are you surprised she's doing it and number two are you do you think it's bad it's a bad look listen I, I, do you know how many of the current justices have written books I don't recall anybody freaking out when Justice Sotomayor wrote a book and got, you know, whatever advance that she got, because she got a nice one, too. Um, I love it when the justices write books. I think it's interesting to hear from inside their brain, their perspectives and their lives. I'm not surprised she's doing it. She's a very interesting character. I mean, this um, first Supreme Court justice ever to be a woman with school-aged children. She's got seven kids that have, you know, a beautiful, interesting uh, backstory. So I think, you know, a lot of people want to know more about her. And so because many of the other justices, Justice Breyer's written several books. I mean, they've Justice Thomas, they all do it or have the opportunity to do it. So um, I think if you're going to be upset about her, then you should go ask Justice Sotomayor for her advance back. Coming up at midnight, what can we expect? Um, you know who we're working on and we're talking with that maybe might happen? Caitlyn Jenner declaring going to run for governor. Nice. I so heard we'll that. That just we're came across. The team, the team is on it. Well, I tell you, it looks like they do have a very important person working uh, working for uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Chris Jenner? Nope. She's a momager. She gets everything done. Who's the 6'6 Texan? That helps uh, President Trump. I'm sorry, I, I I didn't hear what you said. Texan? Yeah. Who helps Trump? Brad Parscale. Oh yeah, listen, if you got Brad on your team, it's a it's an actual serious um, campaign. Yeah, so we'll see. We know this. I think the funniest thing was we will pull this back. Diane Sawyer talks to him about transitioning from an Olympic star in 1976 man to being a woman through the whole reality of the Kardashians and getting divorced from Kris Jenner. And the biggest surprise she had was when he said he was a Republican. <laughs> well, that's the most controversial thing about Caitlyn Jenner, right? I, that, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, All that's right. the one that shocks the conscience of the mainstream media. I will bring that back. Maybe you want to bring that. Uh, bring that. I'm not going to tell you how to do your, to do your job. But it maybe you want to relive that Diane Sawyer moment. I like it. It's a good one. And um, have a great weekend. You too. Shannon Bream, go get him. We'll see you on Fox uh, Fox News at night. 
When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. On Tuesday, some Neanderthal in Columbus, Ohio, a racist probably, called 911 to complain about an attempted stabbing, which at the time, if you can believe it, was considered a bad thing. Someone's trying to stab us and get our grandma. We need a police officer here now. Now, if your first thought when you heard those words was, calm down, racist. Stabbing people is an important part of childhood development. If that was your response, give yourself an equity ribbon. There may be a job for you in MSNBC primetime. A stabbing? What's the harm there? That was our thought. That is uh, one of the funniest monologues open I've ever heard. And I'm sure everyone who loves to write up Tucker and controversial things they think the uh, they says that are controversial was sitting there going, I think he's being sarcastic and making everybody look stupid because people try to diminish the fact that these two were stabbing each other or they left out the fact that the woman who got shot and died, sadly, actually had a knife in her hand. It was ridiculous. And the best part, too, which doesn't work for radio, but the lower third for Tucker was Stabbing people has long been frowned upon and let the kids <laughs> knife fight. <laughs> uh, right. It's just a knife fight. I mean, that's I want you to hear this. A uh, bunch of Democrats tried to make excuses for what happened and made the officer look like a racist, overzealous racist. And basically, first off, uh, yeah, I want you to hear this is all the Democrats. This is. Uh, you're going to hear Shayla Favor of Columbus, Ohio, the city council member. Then you're going to hear Joy Reid. Then you're going to hear Joy Behar. Cut 20. Say, I can't help but think what would happen if we had social workers present, um, if we had community-based interventionists present, and they are able to diffuse some of those situations when residents are in the midst of a crisis. Earlier, I remember fights in, in even high school or even younger than that, where a kid brought a penknife or something to school and teachers were able to defuse that and they didn't have guns. He said, you know, that he, the cop had no choice or something to that effect. And my feeling is, I don't know if that's true or not. Shoot the gun in the air as a warning, tase a person, shoot them in the legs, shoot them in the behind, you know, stop them somehow. But if the only solution is to kill the, a teenager, there's something wrong with this. Or let that teenager get killed. That would have been a lot better. And they would say, why would a cop sit there and let two black people hurt each other? If they were white, would he have let uh, one stab the other? Her name is, uh, her name is Makia Bryant. And here's what Valerie Jarrett, supposedly the voice of reason, the whisperer in Barack Obama's head. A black teenage girl named Makia Bryant was killed because a police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight. Demand accountability. Fight for justice. Are you kidding? In the picture, you see uh, the woman who gets shot, this Makia, who evidently was a foster child and he was visiting her mother to celebrate her birthday, has a knife and is about to plunge it into her. This guy, this officer, who's being investigated because it's typical, did the right thing. By all, unless I see some angle that says something different or a firsthand account, 
that said something different. From what we heard, full sound, multiple angles, he's going to be cleared. And he's got a military background, which maybe explains why he's so comfortable in clutch situations like this. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Sandra Smith in studio. Gets ready for her show coming up at 1. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is not March 2020 anymore. We have three vaccines. Every adult in the state of Georgia that wants that vaccine is eligible to get it right now. And every one of us knows that young children are not affected by this virus. What have we done with that blessing? We've shoved it to the side and we've said, we don't care. You're still going to wear a mask on your face every day, five and six-year-olds. You still can't play together on the playground like normal children, seven and eight-year-olds. It's time. Take these masks off of my child. We chose you to make decisions that would be in our children's best interest and forcing five, six, seven, eight, and nine-year-old little children to cover their noses and their mouths where they breathe for seven hours a day, every day for the last nine months for a virus that you know doesn't affect them. That is not in their best interest. And this has to stop. Yeah, I would say so. And that woman's really upset, obviously. That's taking place in Georgia. And she is Courtney Ann Taylor. And she went up to the Gwinnett County Board of Education to say, enough of the mask. My kid is five. These other kids are six years old, seven, eight, nine years old. And they're forced to wear a mask. Sandra Smith, this resonated with you. You're getting set to host your show, America Reports, from 1 to 3, right here on the Fox News Channel. Um... This, I mean, your kids are a little older than this. But no, my, I have a kindergartner. Oh, you have a kindergartner? Her, her oldest child uh, is a kindergartner, six years old. And my kindergartner wears, like she said, a mask seven hours a day. It's ridiculous. That's the requirement. I also have a, a second grader. And you think about these kids, and she goes into this in, in that speech that she made there in her state, Gwinnett County, by the way. She goes into kids' facial expressions, the social interactions that are key for those kids of that age, Brian. And we know that this virus is not a problem for these kids. So she's pleading with the county there to drop the mask mandate for these littlest of kids. You've got the vaccination now available in this country to everyone over the age of 16, Brian. Half the population has had one shot at least. A quarter of the population has had both. This, there's got to be some sort of incentive for Americans to get the vaccine and then start to see the masks come down. New York, here in New York City, Central Park, Brian, you wander around the park and there is still, it's still a requirement with no one in sight to wear a mask. You've got to have your mask up. So here's, uh, here's what Alex Berenson said last night with uh, Tucker, Cut 32. There's basically no evidence of outdoor transmission, and there hasn't been for a year. The Chinese uh, looked at this more than a year ago. Uh, You know, I tweeted a study that they put out that was basically the first and last word on this. They found almost no outdoor uh, transmission. And, uh, you know, I mean, this should be obvious to anybody with a brain, right? This, This virus is airborne, and it blows away in any kind of outdoor, you know, weather. And by the way, it doesn't like it doesn't like uh, sunlight either. So there's lots of reasons to believe that masking outdoors is useless. 
New York Times writes, there are few, if any, documented cases of brief interactions leading to COVID transmission. If you are outdoor interactions, I should say, if you're passing other people on a sidewalk or sitting near them in a park bench, the exposure of exhaled particles appears to be too small to lead to infection. If the New York Times, the New Republic, the Atlantic is saying the same thing, when, when, when is the Biden administration going to wake up who really controls the, the CDC more than I ever imagined? What happened to follow the science? So now the CDC in this new interview was asked about this, the head of the CDC, and she said, basically, we're looking at it. We're looking at whether or not masks should still be required while you are outside. My question is, it was X, Y, and Z that led to the decision to require masks to be worn outside. We'll go back to X, Y, and Z. Does the science say that we still need to mask up when outside? It's a crucial question. As the weather gets warmer, you've got t-ball practice starting for many people. It's the parents are masked. The kids are kids are running around soccer fields that can't even get get enough air when they're running around the field. I think these are important questions. I talked to Admiral Gerard this week. Love chatting with him. I feel like he really he. He answers your questions. Uh, and remember, he was the guy who broke news when California said they couldn't even serve people outside at restaurants. He said there's no science that says that you can't serve customers at a restaurant Absolutely. outside. So he's saying you're vaccinated. Act like it. He's I asked him about the president, Biden, wearing a mask. He's sitting indoors having meetings with world leaders. Joke. The Japanese prime minister, he's sitting there having a meeting with them, sitting 20 feet apart while still wearing a mask. What is that? Remember and he walking said, Arlington Cemetery? Yes, that's right. And he said, hey, you're vaccinated? Act like it. The president should do so as well because people need incentives to still go out there and get the shot so that we get more people vaccinated. We'll all be better off. So the New York Post did a story today that Michael Goodwin called the president, the former president, President Trump and said, what do you say to everyone who has doubts? And he has a big story. Say, I fully I'm fully vaccinated, took a shot before I left the White House, took another one at Mar-a-Lago. I recommend everybody who get vaccinated. So, amen. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was a given, but I guess to underline it again, the New York Post is making a bit of a, a move that way. So I had my second shot on Monday and they say for two weeks after that, I mean, that's it. Game over. Shouldn't life change is the question. Better. I get my second shot next Tuesday. Shouldn't there be a reward? The LA Dodgers apparently think so. Now you can sit next to somebody you bring. Yeah. <laughs> bring if you game. have your vaccinated card. Uh, what do you think about that? I, I'm not opposed to it. Heck, if you get more people vaccinated, we're going to get out of this sooner than later, right? So I thought, you know, my, my analogy is if you walk into a 7-Eleven says no, even any beach city. Is say no shoes, no shirt, no service. That's their decision. Dodgers are making their decision. You know, the restaurant Del Frisco's next door to us is making their decision. I'm not going to tell them what to do. It's free market. Yep. But if they say, listen, I need to pack out my restaurant, go get a vaccine, it'll help. But I also understand the privacy thing. Why? You know, I ask everyone, I go, wait a second, should I be doing this? Because yeah. I ask everyone, hey, did you get a vaccine yet? No, I'm not going to. Why? And that is going against, I guess, every HIPAA rule. You know, you know what? I think I asked people about the flu shot before. Did you get the flu shot this year? I don't know. I, I, I think that was a pretty common question before. I don't know. I think something's got to change. I think people are exhausted. You've got to, you've got to tell them what is coming next with this, Brian. Or because else, the numbers are going down. The numbers are going down. And, and that was the other thing Admiral Gerard brought up with me. He said, you see it happening in Texas, Florida, Mississippi, Alaska, so many of these places where they have moved on with their lives, where the infection rates are actually coming down. It is some of the most restrictive states 
that are having some of the biggest problems right now. You go down to Texas or Florida or Mississippi or some of these states, Brian, you don't see masks. But to your point about private business, you go into the bodega or the grocery store, and if, they, if those private businesses think it's better for their business, they're going to require the mask. Yeah, Leave or, it to them. Right. Uh, and you don't want to do it. I will say this. In Florida, I've been there maybe five times through this. Uh, 90, like the supermarkets all say wear a mask. The restaurants don't. I mean, there might be some, but I didn't see any where I was. Rochelle Walensky is the CDC director, and I'm hanging on to this. So this is one of the reasons why I rushed to get the vaccine is the day it happened. She said this, cut 28. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data. She said that, and a couple of days later, she put out a statement saying, we're still waiting on more information, walking it back. This is what she—she she knows this. She gave two different ways in which we know this. The studies they have— Uh, What we're seeing overseas, our friends like Israel, they are sharing data with us. This means that you cannot carry the virus. Dr. Fauci says over the weekend we're still looking at that. No, you're not. You know, to take this to politics, Ted Cruz was just giving an interview on the Fox News channel when I was coming up here. And he said, this COVID is no longer, It's this is not this is not the Democrats' priority right now. How do you see them prioritizing it? If it was, Brian, wouldn't the best thing you can do to get up there, lead those COVID briefings again, like President Trump did, have as much transparency as possible. How are you making these decisions? These are decisions that are affect every one of our lives by the hour, Brian. I mean, it has dramatically changed the way that we live. Why is there not more transparency coming from this White House? When are you making these decisions? How are you making – is it an urgent matter for you to get our lives back to normal? Why doesn't he answer that question? Uh, And he wears a mask and double mask. Double mask after being double vaccinated. But, you know, that's a great point because, to me, the best example is a contractor. The contractor has to hire the plumber and he's got to hire the electrician. He's got to hire him to put together the house. And when it comes to the homeowner to find out how that house is going, they don't go up and say, how's the plumbing? They go to the contractor. I don't want to hear Dr. Fauci. He's only has one area. That's just, I want the psychology, the sociologist. I want the psychologist. I want the epidemiologist. I want the, uh, the, everybody involved in this process. And I want to hear from the person in charge. I don't want the epidemiologist. He's trained to be conservative. What advantage is it for him to say, open up and get the supermarkets going, the economy rolling. He doesn't even know what the economy is. He's on a fixed salary, handing out grants to other labs to do experiments we know nothing about. Take it a step further. How about some of these public schools that aren't even back for for in-person learning, Brian? Joke. That is still happening in some parts of this country. That should be a priority. But yet we are spending, as we are doing a, a chunk of our news today, on climate change proposals. You have an expertise in business, so I got to tap into that. Sure. And then I want to see if we do you think we should do more to know in the last segment? Okay. So I don't know what that is, but Oh, it's gonna be exciting because you're gonna <laughs> you're, you're gonna be co anchoring it. So I am looking at uh, some of these stats and seeing what the capital gains tax virtually doubling will do and saw how the market reacted and see the fact that next week we're gonna get another one point five trillion dollar family spending plan, while we examine and negotiate a infrastructure plan, while we just did a coronavirus aid plan, all of which have one thing in common. We don't have the money to cover it. So taxes are all going up and it's still not going to work. 
I love how they say on the rich, too. They're going right. to tax the rich. And when you look at these tax levels that they're talking about in some areas of the country, these people won't tell you that they feel like they are rich. So this is this is affecting people in some areas of the country where it costs a lot to live that might be making $200,000 a year. Capital gains tax. This is the, the, the taxes on the profits you make on the sale of an asset. I was talking to my team about this yesterday. This is key. And as the administration, Saki, was asked in the briefing room yesterday, don't you think that you are going to discourage long-term investment in this country with a move like that? No. No, not at all. But guess what they fully support? This new trend of active day trading that people are using their stimulus checks to go in and and bet on GameStop, right? They don't have a problem with that. But long-term investing will go after every dollar that you're making there because we're going to apply that to our our, our far – our left-wing agenda and it's, he, it's an issue this is what bothers me is that when the economy starts to boom and when you when you brought the car to the side of the road you stop making progress that's what we did a mm-hmm. year ago today last month so now when we start getting it online and the gdp begins to grow they're going to say see my policies are working yep but not nearly to the potential it was. And Barack Obama did the same thing. Our economy was coming back, but not quick enough. And he goes, well, listen, we're growing, we're growing, we're adding jobs. But wait a second, we should be booming. Look at the cycles. Yeah. We should, we're going to boom, and it's going to be the Biden boom, and he does not deserve it. Remember those shovel-ready jobs? <laughs> I can't tell you how many places Fox sent me out to those shovel-ready jobs that just frankly, didn't exist. 11,000 jobs we lost with the cancellation of the building of the Keystone XL pipeline, Brian. Where do those folks go? Now, part of this new infrastructure plan, Biden says he's going to have a transition plan in place. Guess what that means? They're going to spend money to get those folks that lose their job as a result of this into a new green job. There is no evidence that they are prepared to do that. You talk to these coal miners and you look at the historic track record of coal miners and others like them, they don't migrate. They don't leave. When they lose their job, they don't go somewhere else in the country to find work. Those green energy jobs, they are not going to show up in a neighborhood near them, Brian. And it's How a different are you going to find them work? It's going to cost the taxpayer at the end of the day money to find new jobs. And what's crazy is a lot of these jobs are union jobs. I thought he loves unions. I yeah. thought they built the backbone of the country. Sandra Smith is going to be hosting uh, America Reports from 1 to 3. When we come back, we're going to find out if Sandra Smith needs to know more. <laughs> Okay, can't wait. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I think it's time for Sandra Smith, before she gets uh, has to be stuck with John Roberts for two hours, to find out if she needs to know more. Oh, More to know. All right, uh, Sandra, we go story by story. We duel it out. My first story, well, why don't you take the first one? All right, should politics be in sports? The MLB is now asking ticket holders, Brian, their political affiliation in a survey. They're taking this after games. They say it's to gain knowledge about fan perceptions, Brian, preferences and behaviors during the pandemic. I mean, it's it's a series of questions on the form. I get it. But why do you care about that? They said it's to better understand what feeling you are and how maybe conservative you are as it relates to the coronavirus precautions. Are you buying that? They 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 defended the decision saying that if political affiliation is commonly used in surveys by other organizations. I think bottom line this is just all companies in general, public and private, they want more information. And here's my advice, don't answer. Next. <laughs> 
The headmaster of that elite New York City school reportedly apologizes and claims he was trapped by a disgruntled teacher, Paul Rossi, after he was caught on leaked audio agreeing that they are skewed against white white students. Listen. Some of our students white people? Yes. Okay, so we're demonizing white. We're demonizing white kids. Why don't you just say it? We are, we are using language that makes them feel less than um, for nothing that they are personally responsible for. And it is. It's part of that critical race theory, uh, shaming white kids. He had enough. Paul Rossi says, I'm not coming back next year. They suspended him. Now, George Davidson's the guy that admitted it. And he says this to everybody. Paul recorded our conversation without telling me during our Zoom meeting when I was informing him of being placed on a warning and the conditions of his contract. He got into his talking points and out of context. It sounds as if I support the contention that we demonize white students. Did it sound like he was out of context, Sandra? I think this is an amazing story, and I think it's getting bigger and bigger. I had a parent of one of these schools on this week who spoke out against this who said, you know what I found when you speak up in a room? of other parents, they might not start the conversation about these anti-racism policies that they're seeing in these schools, private and now in some public. They might not start it, but they will join in with you. Don't be afraid. I just hope it's a trend because they're standing up in Loudoun, Virginia. They're standing up in a few elite schools here. I want it to be a trend for parents across this country. This anti-American attitude within our school, public schools, cannot stand. You're next. By the way, get back to academics, science, and math. Now, Virginia is moving to eliminate all accelerated math courses, Brian, before 11th grade as part of an equity-focused plan. They are effectively keeping higher-achieving students from advancing as they usually would in the school system. Why would you want to do this? Uh, there is makes no sense. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, life is not fair. Certain people are born fast. Some are slow. Some are tall. Some are short. Everyone's got assets. These kids have proven to be exceptional, whether it's their work ethic or natural aptitude. We do, as a country, we've been great at putting those people on a path to eventually help us, our economic needs, our societal needs. Now we're saying, no, no, we don't want people to stand out. What kind of mindset is that? That's not an American mindset. You know what I think when I start to see some of these assessments we're doing away with and the critical judgment of some of these students' um, output as far as education is concerned— China's doing it. Absolutely. I mean, we're losing our competitive edge by the day. And that's the last thing we need. That's what we had. Ex-Virginia Techs, and we move. Uh, star uh, sues their coach. Her name is Kirsten Hennig, a former Virginia Tech women's soccer player. She got cut from a team because she would not kneel during the national mm. anthem. Do you believe that? In a lawsuit, Hennig said that she supports social justice, believes in BLM, but she says she does not support BLM, the organization, tactics and core tenets of its mission statement, including defunding the police. So at 21, she is suing the school. Do you agree with that? I I think this goes to politics and sports. Nobody wants it. It's not helping anybody right now. And when it comes to taking a stand, do it somewhere else. Do it in the locker room, but taking a stand on the field or elsewhere, it's not helping anybody. And by the way, the Olympics just decided, second year in a row, banning any official protests yeah. when the so, Olympics begins. Hey, American athletes, stand, all right, during the national anthem, and just hope you win. Shannon Bream's going to be hosting her show at 1 on Fox News Channel. Check it out with John Roberts. I'll be joining her at 1.15 at Eastern Time. What did I call you? Shannon. Oh, what did I say? Woo! Sandra Smith. <laughs> we love Shannon. Oh, my goodness. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.